30 years ago, three number ones were published by a then brand new independent publisher, Image Comics. And those books changed mainstream American comics forever. Spawn number one, Wildcats number one, and Youngblood number one were all released in 1992. And those three titles cemented the superstardom of Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, and Rob Liefeld, and kicked off what became known as the Image Comics Revolution. On today's show, Dwight, Adrian, and myself discuss who Image's target audience was. We're looking at you, Adrian. Other books released that same year, like The Death of Superman and Batman's Sword of Asriel, and how other comic creators were inspired by the Image founders to go their own way, even older guys like Gil Kane and Jack Kirby. And we end the conversation on Image's reputation now as a solid indie publisher of titles like The Walking Dead, 100 Bullets, and Southern Bastards. Reading Youngblood and Wildcats in real time as they were first coming out was a magical thing, and we try to recapture some of that magic on this podcast. Thanks for listening as we celebrate 1992, the year that kicked off the Image Comics revolution. Okay, so Adrian... Yes, sir. You are the you are the prime age. What was it like in 1992, the year that Spawn number one was released, and the year that Youngblood number one was released, yeah, and the year that Wildcats number one was released, and basically it was the year that Image Comics launched took over and yeah the takeover yo the, the, the literally takeover. the takeover like they jay-z or something <laughs> exactly, exactly that's it that's it yeah that's it but, Man. but you know you you always ask d and i what it was like to read like x-men and daredevil and watchmen and all that in real time as it was coming out what was that like for you as a as a preteen in your quote golden age so to speak <laughs> well, I, I, I'm making admission. Um, I really got into comics the year after in 93. However, the afterglow of 92 was still extremely strong, pun intended. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just, oh, gosh. Even in the afterglow and the wake of the launch of all those image titles, man, um, the excitement was still so palpable. I mean, mm. For for those too young or who weren't around at the time, the feeling of those books coming out, you know, and really comics as a whole, you know, at that time, there was a palpable excitement that was really just just going on. And you really felt like a sense of, you know, every time you went to the shop or, you know, you picked up something, you know, when they still had comics on like, you know, the spinner racks at your local drugstore or the grocery store even. You know, mm -hmm. you would just be like, oh, man, th this is cool. This is this is great. And 92 really brought about this change with Image Comics to where, OK, they, they're, they're a bit more expensive. I used to be able to pay like a dollar twenty five, a dollar fifty for my little comics, my little Marvel and DCs. Whoa, right. these are a dollar ninety five, two fifty. But but imagine to 13 year old me. Looking inside and seeing like, yeah, yeah, okay, this will work. This, oh, okay, okay, I'm good. Okay, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, it's, it's worth that two fifty. You know what I'm saying? And it was just because they look different, mm -hmm. way different. I mean, just sleek, just colorful, just exciting. It was just like, oh man, this is this is crazy right here. 
You know what I'm saying? So to answer your question, Swiss, to start it off, what it was like at Ground Zero in 92, even in the afterglow of it, was just it was just something else. And it's something that I don't think there's there's been a couple of times in recent memory, you know, in the industry, the comics industry, where it's kind of approached that type of excitement, but never approached it or even got close to surpassing it. Right. No way. That is a time and an era that will unfortunately and perhaps fortunately in some quarters will never be replicated. Mm. Yeah. I think I don't think it'll be replicated in the same way. Mm. I think to some extent, uh, maybe like the uh, the craze of comic book movies and superhero movies is another kind of excitement kind of surrounding these characters and these IPs Mm -hmm. that we've never, that we've never, in other words, the singularity aspect of it that where you're saying we've never, like we're never going to see this many comic book movies and this many comic book properties be made into television shows and movies ever again. It's probably never going to happen again. It never happened before this. and It just probably won't happen again. This is probably a weird golden age of its own. Yeah. But I think like what you're saying about the uh, the afterglow and, and the warmth of that afterglow still bleeding over into 1993, even pre- even preceding 92 and into 92, you know, the ramp up to that is going to be something like Watchmen in what, 86, 87? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Dark Knight Returns in I think 86 or whatever. And then Batman Year One in in eighty seven and the speculator boom itself, you know, being the you know the fuel in the engine, let's say, that kind of like gets us because that's what gave them those early creators, the Jim Lees and Silvestri's and the Potassios and Liefeld and McFarlane. That's what gave them the chutzpah to say, "Hey, look, you know, we're doing, you know, we're we're selling millions of copies and." The reason why people want these books is because of the creators and specifically, you know, these artists. And so that gave them the the balls to say, hey, let's go ahead and do our own thing. So all of that led to that mass exodus. And then eventually that 1992 period where we get Spawn number one, we get Youngblood number one, we get Wildcast number one. When did Savage Dragon, uh, when was that first published, the first issue? Same year. In fact, every single one of those original seven image comics all launched in 92. Okay. But the very first one was Rob Liefeld's Youngblood. Now, Youngblood launched in April of 1992, which was very auspicious. Um, it launched on the, <laughs> it launched on, uh, I think in like mid April. And so he had appearances um, on the Dennis Miller show. If you remember that talk show. I do, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yo. Uh, it's on YouTube if anybody wants to look it up. It's hilarious. He got the stonewashed shirt with his little tie, stonewashed jeans and everything. <laughs> so uh, you go ahead, Rob. All right, man. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Did he have the mullet? Uh, well, you know, Rob, he, always, he still has remnants of that weird haircut today. It's like a bowl haircut, but <laughs> yeah. it kind of just, what? What is going on? What? You wanted to be a crew cut, but you... But you were scared, so that's just a it's bowl kinda, cut. I don't know. It's kind of like a like a like blonde mo from the Three Stooges, yo. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> 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 oh man! But but yeah, man, and you can even see on there. I mean, 
They're coming off of uh, Liefeld, Lee, and McFarland. Those three. Those are like the three titans, if you will. They're coming off of millions in not only comic book sales, but also royalties as well, which gave them, you know, the impetus not only personally, but also financially to set up, you know, themselves to even attempt to do something like Image Comics. You know what I'm saying? And McFarlane, to this point, he had retired. Like, he had just been like, I'm good. I'm a millionaire now. I'm just going to celebrate and enjoy being with my new baby girl. And that's all I'm going to do. But Liefeld was just like, well, I want to command my own book. I want to do my own book. Let's see how far this thing goes. You know what I'm saying? So he brought the idea to, you know, the rest of the guys. And believe it or not, um, uh, Jim Lee was the last one to get on. Because, you know, Jim Lee, he's always very much uh, calculating in terms of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, He was like, yeah. what's in it for me? What, what are the numbers going to look like? I mean, I don't want to just jump out there. But when they sold him on it, when Mike Farling sold him on it, it was like, look, I think this is going to be a good deal for all of us. Come on now, we're, we're hot. But I mean, you're coming off of selling the most comic books of all time. You sold 8 million comic books, man. Come on now. Whatever you do next is going to be hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there they did it. They left Marvel Comics and set out on the adventure that was Image Comics, man. You know? Yeah, yeah. So so this is my thing. So, Adrian, you at the prime age, mostly, but at the prime age for this material, and... And, and that's always kind of a key thing where the audience feels like the people who are making the stuff are making it for them. Like you're you're not a you're not some musician who went to, you know, to to uh, to to Juilliard or to Berkeley or whatever and who trained and you know more than me. It's you are me. It's the same mm. thing like with hip hop, where the people who are buying hip hop in the 80s and the 90s felt like, OK, you are me. You are talking to my experiences. Your sensibilities are the same as mine. So like at, in 92, that was the year before I got married. So I was kind of like an engagement, you know, mode and, yeah. and planning wedding and all this kind of stuff. And and so I was I was peripherally aware of what was going on, but I was not an avid reader. D, what was what was your position then in 92 in terms of what was happening with image and what was happening to the mainstream. Cause it was kind of a fracturing, so to speak, you know, these seven, mm. these seven creators kind of splintered off and did their own thing. But what, what was your awareness of what was happening at the time? It was weird for me, man. It was weird for me because I, I had always been a, you know, I was a, you know, grew up in the eighties, you know, and that was a, the perfect time for me to grow up in the eighties to, to experience, you know, the, 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 the Marvel and DC dominance, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, it was two houses mm-hmm. and to see a house divided, all of a sudden, and to see these guys that were dividing the house do it so 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 perfectly and causing this uproar, it was like wow. I felt like it was some kind of part of a, some kind of new uh, Beatles invasion. Yeah, and, and that's 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 what it was for Image Comics. Image Comics was very much an upstart. They came in and they they pretty much wrecked shop. They were like, okay, you know, everything that you thought that you they took influence from anime and other things like that. And they were like, okay, I'm gonna cobble this down and and and, and spin off in my own direction. And I appreciated that. I was with it. I was like, I, I'm, I, I didn't always like the, the some, some of the character designs, but for the most part, I was pretty much like, okay, this this stuff is pretty hot, you know. And I could deny the the influence of, of Malibu Malibu's uh, coloring technique, Ollie Optics. It was taking over, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
there was one particular thing I saw that really, really like like up my up my expectations for Image was in Cyberforce. When as you know, when you talk, you know what I'm talking about. There's a glass in one of the, one of the, one of the panels of Cyberforce that was so friggin' like like animatedly perfect. Like this, this 3D, you know, it, it, it matched perfectly with the, with the with the with the comic and the image. They just like it up my up my expectation for comics altogether when they did that. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and you know, to go along with another musical <coughs> analogy as well, it's almost like as if with Image Comics and the way not only that they drew, but especially the coloring, it it the, the coloring was as if Eddie Van Halen was doing a guitar solo every single issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You had these superstar yeah. artists doing this crazy work. The inks were just tight. But then you had this coloring on top of that, especially coming out of, you know, then Homage Studios because it was Silvestri, Tarasha. Lee, and Portacio all together before Silvestri said, I'm out. I want my own shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I want to be the top cow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, seriously, exactly. And mm-hmm. that coloring... It was just like, wow. So, yes, D, yeah. I remember exactly the glass that you're talking about. That glass is mm-hmm. legend. You know, just yeah, the yeah. coloring on it, the modeling on it. You know, it, it was the perfect example of, wow, what can be done with this computer coloring inside of comics now? And the other thing that helped, too, you know, I'm saying that, 90, that 1992 birth as well. I think the industry probably needed at the time was a big, healthy dose of competition. I mean, yes, image yes. came in and shook things up so much that Marvel obviously is reeling from it. It's like, oh, my God, we just lost, you know, seven of our big talents here. But then D.C. is like, um, 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 what do we do now? Um, you know, <laughs> but the funny thing is, um, is that Liefeld related that. McFarlane, uh, Liefeld, and Lee went over to D.C. that same day they told Marvel to kiss off. They, McFarlane said, now we're going over to D.C. to tell them what's up. And so right. <laughs> Liefeld Damn. said when they got over to D.C., D.C. saw, of course, McFarlane and Liefeld, like, oh, these motherfuckers. But they saw Jim Lee. <laughs> <laughs> But they saw Jim Lee and was like, oh, my God, because Jim Lee had never been inside the D.C. offices before. So, like, oh, my God, Damn. you brought us Jim Lee? Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. But then was like, wow. no, no, no. We're here to tell you the same thing that we just told Marvel. We're breaking off and we're not doing work for either of you guys. So, so, so you have D.C. just reeling back from that. I mean... There was a point later in 1992 where Image actually edged out DC and became, for like a month or two, the number two publisher in comics. Yeah. Yeah. So DC is like, oh my, what the? We got to do something. It's like, it's like you, if, right? if this was a submarine movie, the inside of the submarine would turn red and the klaxons would be going off. <laughs> and you see people running, you know, from to and fro, bumping into each other. Like, we got to do right? something. Red alert, you know what I'm saying? So to culminate that, the red alert and the response to that red alert was the infamous. In November 
1992. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. They, they had to do it, or they felt they had to. The death of Superman. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that yeah. was that yeah. was them making a play, an obvious play for, look, we got to do whatever we have to do to get eyeballs and to get people to drop coin on our comics. Mm-hmm. Um, we, ha- we have to re- maintain our position. And the thing about it is, is Image was different from other attempts or other uh, forays into independent comics publishing. I mean, of course, we had, you know, other publishers, you know, like your Gold Keys and Charlton and so forth. You have Archie Comics. You know, we've had underground independent comics for years, like uh, the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and Hate (laughs) and uh, Zap Comics. And, you know, comics that kind of explored more kind of... uh, 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 Cerebus, Dave Sam Cerebus, yeah, but then, uh, but Cerebus actually represents more of that specific kind of black and white comics boom. Yeah, Cerebus, um, you know, Warrior Magazine, you know, things from Ninja, over the Ninja Turtles, yeah, Ninja right, Turtles sure. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but there was an in, there was a black and white independent comics boom where you did have it was nudging more towards mainstream. But it wasn't quite like just straight up superheroes. So this was seven super uber duber popular creators who said, we're going to do superheroes. We're going to do, you know, what rightfully could be called, you know, our, you know, analogs for. Of course. Superman and X-Men and Batman and uh, Avengers and the Titans and and Justice League and so forth. Yeah. All of those things. Captain America, you know. Uh, Deadpool is an analog for, you know, for the Deathstroke, the Terminator, whatever. But still, they were very, very popular. They sold a lot of comics. As a matter of fact, we're talking about the uh, that early lineup. Mm-hmm. I'm guess I don't know. Savage Dragon always, I never read Savage Dragon, so forgive me. Okay. Savage Dragon always just seemed like Smart Hulk. Mm-mm. Like, ultimately, it just felt like Smart Hulk. I'm not saying it was exactly that, but it was just like, okay, a weird green guy who's funny looking and he's but he's he has human intelligence. He's not a monster or. But in my opinion, Spawn of all of those seems like Spawn was probably the one that was the weirdest. And maybe, you know, it was certainly they were take he was taking things from Batman and from Ghost Rider and from yeah, other Spider-Man. things. Spider Man, yeah, yeah. Spider Man, but yeah, Spawn was kind of its own weird original in a way than the others. The others you could make more of a comparison to the mm-hmm. other. Do I have that wrong? What do you guys think? Well, I think in terms of Spawn, um, yes, it, it was it was derivative in its way. But also, you have out of all of them, you know, perhaps not not necessarily just in skill. But as a personality within the industry, McFarlane kind of was the eclipse, if you will. You know, he was the one, he was a Spider-Man guy. You know what I'm saying? He's the one selling five million, no, three million copies of that adjectively Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? And just by force of his personality as well, that book just took over. You know what I'm saying? But it still had to go past um, Youngblood, because since Youngblood was the first one out there, and the rest of the guys, the other six guys, were standing back, looking off to the side, just like, man, let me, let's see what this, let's see what this Youngblood shit gonna do. And then when that Youngblood came back, at like after like a million or two million, they're like, all right, I'm in. 
You know what I'm saying? All right, what's right. up? <laughs> All, right, we're, we're, all right, we got to send this to the publisher. You know, we got to send this to the printer. You know what I'm saying? But I think for, I think your perception is, is kind of correct, you know, Swizz, just in terms of, you know, Spawn kind of being, you know, very offbeat. You know what I'm saying? But also very accessible, if you will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, 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 think, the, I think the fact that it's, it's somewhat derivative, but not directly, like a lot of the other titles, kind of sets it apart. Mm-hmm. So it was something that you could really get into and feel like you're reading this kind of for the first time, as opposed to like Youngblood, Wildcats, and Cyberforce. I can read any of those as X-Men, Justice League, or the Titans. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, it just felt fresher, you know, if you will. Spawn, Spawn, Spawn's success and interest for me was that it was it was a loner story. It was a redemption story, yeah. and that's what that's what Todd made, made made plain from the very beginning. Not not always eloquently. I mean, you know, far be it for me to criticize somebody's eloquence, but you know, he he he, he attempted to make it like engaging in a matter that had like a certain, certain sort of mythology behind it. You know, wherein the others were just like kind of like pretty pictures. You know what I mean? It was like okay, we could do this, we could do this. Now, Wildcats was an exception to me. It was like. In order of interest to me, it was it was it was Cyberforce because I like I love I love Sylvester's artwork at the time, and it, and then it became then it was uh, then it was um, uh, Spawn and then um, Wildcats, you know. Yeah. But later on, it became it became a thing where I like Wildcats better than all three all three of them because Wildcats had, you know, it had a it had a a space theme which I could relate to, of course, and then it had a it had a um, um, it got it got a better got better writers behind it. So, yeah. um, and, I, and I felt sometimes that that Todd felt a little too self indulgent and, and spawned a little bit to me. You know what I mean? But as an independent publisher, you kind of want that. You know, you were t- you, yeah for sure. Yeah, you, you're talking about um, Cerebus earlier. You know, Dave Sim. You know, anytime you have someone who's handling all the task of doing the book and producing the book. Obviously, their personality is going to show in the work, you know, and sometimes if they're <laughs> if they're a really entertaining personality or have a very interesting point of view, you kind of want that. And so with Spawn, I think you kind of get that, you know, with the evolution of Spawn, especially in those early issues that McFarlane was producing. I mean, basically, he was drawing it. He had moved out to um, Phoenix um, by this time down, down from Canada. So he was producing these comics in his garage, above his garage in Phoenix. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just so awesome. That's, that's, that's how awesome would that be, man? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just great. Basically what you're saying is, is that, that, that this was maybe him different from some of the others. You know, this was his Peanuts or his Doonesbury or his uh, Calvin and Hobbes, so to speak. And so, yeah. you know, how the personality of those creators comes through in their strips, it's the same way. It's like, okay, these are all the things that I'm interested in and less like maybe with Wildcats or with Youngblood where, okay, I want to do a team kind of like the teams that I grew up loving per se. Mm-hmm. 20% from Spider-Man and 20% from Ghost Rider and 20% from Batman and 20% from something else and maybe 20% from another place that we don't know. So that's why it's a little less uh, apples to apples to... Uh, you know, to uh, to some of those other things. Plus, too, the idea of a superhero team, it just becomes like a cookie cutter template. OK, you've got the strong person. You got the weird person who's tortured. You have maybe the someone who's speedster. You have the smart aleck. 
you have the the couple who are eventually going to fall in love and you know everybody kind of kind of fits fits into a role so to speak but but other things that came out in 1992 other than you know the aforementioned image comics and and then also the death of superman you know those shadow of the bats mm-hmm. were coming out in 92 the sword of Ad- batman sword of azrael Oh yeah, Joe mm-hmm. Quesada. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, loved it. That was yeah. coming out in '92. Um, yeah. uh, Green Lantern's Mosaic. That was the first time I'd ever seen Cully's artwork uh, with Gerard Cully Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with the uh, as the artist. Um, and then as far as image, uh, like Brigade came out. Um, Shadowhawk. Jim yes. Valentino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim Valentino Supreme. Yes. And um, I think Sailor Moon maybe debuted in 92. I'm not sure if it debuted, but it was certainly being published in 92 uh-huh. uh, as a uh, as a uh, as a manga. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there were quite a few just quite a few books that came out then Punisher Warzone. Oh, yes. Um, Spider-Man 2099 came out in 92. Um, you know, it, it was just a very interesting time. The Infinity War. Yeah. Okay. You know the, the 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 Infinity War uh, in '92 as well. So started by Stalin and finished by Lim. Yeah, and, and that's what I was trying to think because it was kind of like a, a a trilogy, if you will. Obviously, Infinity mm-hmm. Crusade in '91, and then right. okay, you're right. Infinity War did '92, and then Infinity Crusade mm-hmm. in '93. You're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just a real interesting time to be like, wow. You know, like Adrian was saying. You know the coloring, the art, um, the bombasticness, and the, and the dynamism in the art. You know, just had a a a, a certain. Would you say it was a populist appeal for sure, Adrian? Oh yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And you know, the thing that I would differentiate it uh, as far as a contrast to today's market is that you have some incredibly incredibly talented artists today i mean just are out of this world but for whatever reason i don't know if it's just internally with the companies mm-hmm. or what have you mm-hmm. nothing can match or nothing comes close to matching that same feeling and that same um um populist appeal across the board i mean even like it's spilled even outside of comics i mean when you have cnn before the launch of image you know, taking note that, hey, when these seven guys said they were breaking out, Marvel's stock that same day went down like something like um, seven points or something like that. Like it was drastic enough that even CNN had to take notice and said, what is going on here? You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And then when the general public saw like this stuff that was happening, they're like, oh, well, what's what's going on here? So some of it was still that speculator boom. You know, because you did have people from the outside, so to speak, coming in and just being right. like, well, what's hot here? What's um? Let, let, let me get a case of the Wildcats. Um, <laughs> you know, what's up? And yeah, they they would get it. And when they realized, oh, they sold. There's a million of these out here. I'm never going to make my money back. You know, they just like I'm good. I'm, I'm not doing that again. You know, but still, it's the populist appeal. Yeah, that even outside of comics, it was starting to show, you know, and bring people mm. in like that. Well, let me ask you this, man. In terms of populist appeal, I mean, obviously, one of the, one of the biggest trademarks for Image Comics was the fact that their coloring was so damn good, and the coloring was 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 par excellence. It showed everybody how to do it. But before them, there was a small upstart company that came up called Malibu Comics. 
Remember Malibu? Mm-hmm. Now the Malibu, Ma- Malibu fed Malibu basically fed them their their color their, their coloring strategy. Well, with, with all the optics. Well, is that, is that kind of a no? No, nah, no. Nah. Two separate things. Ali Optics was his own thing, and that was owned by Steve Olaf. Uh, he was that was his own company. Now Malibu actually was handling the distribution because what they did not have, they were like, "All right, we do not have distribution for these comics. Can y'all at least help us that for the first year?" And by the way, we see what y'all doing with some coloring over here. You know what I'm saying? Could you, you know, what I'm saying maybe help on that front too? You know, train us up a little bit. Well, parted partly, and then Liefeld said that he actually went out and, you know, he's rich off of those royalty statements from Marvel. He bought, he bought his own coloring systems. Like, he bought his top of the, then top of the line, you know, Max and all of that, and he brought somebody in to, like, basically form up his coloring department. But, again, they still had to go through Malibu just in terms of distribution and to have a connection to the coloring plant as well. You know, just like, okay, we need distribution and you need to show us how to actually send the files to the, to the, color, to the coloring plant. You know what I'm saying? I think it was in Canada, Cubicore. Cubicore. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think you're right. Yeah, I do, I do recall that, yeah. Yeah, so once they showed them how to do that and then once each... You know, well, not each, because some were still using the same company. But once Steve Olaf starts coming in with Ali Optics on Spawn, and um, I think his assistant Ruben Root helped out on Savage Dragon as far as coloring, and they have Liefeld and obviously Lee, they start you know their own coloring departments, and then Top Cow. It's almost like they said, okay, we really don't need y'all anymore to Malibu. They're like, we're good now. You know, and that's when Marvel swooped in and said, appreciate you. We got that color department now. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I mean, not to belabor the point any more than necessary, but uh, so when did Brian Haberlin come into the picture as far as coloring goes? Oh, he came in early. He came in early. In fact, he was still working when uh, Silvestri was still together with Lee and them under Omai Studios. You know, and if you, if you, if, Anybody remembers on the uh, previous incarnation of our show where Hablin was telling some great stories about early image, you know, he was coloring even then, you know, on um, those early issues of Cyberforce and, you know, the stuff that Silvestri was gearing up to, you know, go out on his own with, you know what I mean? And so, you know, he he was there for a, a lot of it, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, you're right, D. I mean, that coloring, even to this day, now I know what you're going to say. And I'm going to I'm I'm head, head you off at the pass. If you look at those early image comics, as colorful as they are, they are still trying to work on how to blend the colors together. Like a lot of it yeah. is just like those, yeah. <laughs> those stair step kind of gradations where it's like, <laughs> yeah, they're real hard. But oh man, by like 93, oh, they, they had it down. Like it was just like, Mm-hmm. Like smooth, like oh no problem. This is this is this is incredible. This is incredible. I mean, some of that coloring, even today, even as garish as it is, still rivals even with the nuance of today's coloring. You know, even with some of that past coloring kind of rivals what's going on today, in my opinion, on certain books. I agree. Yeah, yeah. on certain books, yeah. I agree. Yeah. The um, 
of those original titles that were launched and, and published in 92, I think I'm certainly aware that Spawn and Savage Dragon are still being published, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Are any of the others, or are they all gone gone by the way of the Dodo Bird? Yes. Cyber Force is making a comeback. Yeah. Uh, Cyber Force has tried, but dang. You know what? I'm going to catch flack for this, but I'm going to say it. Silvestri, <laughs> Silvestri, he's, I, 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 I've gotten the, 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 and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I've gotten the feeling that Silvestri, he really doesn't <clears throat> want to do it anymore. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, he says he's going to make a, a comeback with Cyber Force, but really, they tried that. They tried that, D. Um, there was a Cyber Force number zero about, I want to say four years ago. And it was just like... <laughs> Which is never a good sign. No. Nah. But, but the thing is, is that he created his own house style. You know, that's where you get right. David Finch. That's where you get the anchor back. That's where you get this newer guy, uh, Kenneth Rockefeller from. Like, they all kind of draw, like, offshoots of him. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, really, it's almost as if if he comes up with it. Oh, and, and, of course, the late Michael Turner in, in very much a regard. But Yeah, very much so. It was almost like if he wanted to come up with a new title, he had or he had capable artists that he would be able to say, here's what I want to do. I'm going to assign it to you because you have hallmarks of my particular style. So it's almost like in a way he was drawing it without him drawing it. You know what I'm saying? And since the industry has changed so much and these artists have now gone on to their own things, it's up to him. And I don't think it's hard as in it anymore. In fact, I think a lot of those creators now, they're up in age. I mean, they can still do it. I mean, Liefeld is still drawing. Um, McFarlane is still very much involved with Spawn. And obviously, Eric Larson is still drawing Savage Dragon every month. But mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, you know, you reach a, you reach a time to where, man, you've, you've kind of peaked the crest, if you will. And it's just like, man, you got to kind of sit back and be like, Man, you know what? I, 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 I think I got to cast the chips in, man. I, I, I got to put the big image eye chip down for a minute, man. And just be like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm good, Joe. <laughs> so let me ask you guys this. What do you all remember? And, and probably more specifically, Adrian, because your memory is, 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 uh, uh, is, tends to be better than ours. But what were the mainstream creators or the former guards in comics who were working, still working at DC and Marvel, what were they saying about Image as a whole and these seven creators who made the exodus into the land of independence and revolution and started their own thing and started to succeed? What were some of the comments? I do recall like John Byrne kind of commenting on maybe like Todd McFarlane and saying, oh yeah, my understanding is he actually became a millionaire, you know, like off of one issue of Spider-Man or something like that. But I'm just wondering if, if there was any chatter or if you guys read any interviews or heard maybe even through grapevines, um, you know, what they what their response was to this, because it kind of had to be like like your Julius Irvings and your Wilt Chamberlain's, you know, who maybe made one hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year. And that was all the money they ever made at, at playing in the NBA and then seeing, you know, your Jordans and your Pippins and then eventually your LeBrons and Curry's and. And Hardens and these guys making ten and twelve million dollars a year. Yeah, and you're like, well, goddamn, you know. 
I'll say that to this. All I really noticed during that time was that there was a lot more backlash coming from the writers than it was from the artists. I think the writers, the writers were more vociferous about the fact, well, they're image, but what else are they? You know what I mean? They made that plain, especially people like Peter David. Mm-hmm. Peter David was like, like, like constantly running his mouth about it, and you would, and you would get your Gary Gross poo-pooing them on, on in the comics journals and shit like that mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily agree with. I mean, yes, they're image, but they were, they, but comics were, to me, comics were an image initially first. That was what always grasped me. That's what I gravitated towards. Then the story afterwards maintained my interest. But, you know, Adrian probably speak to it better than I can as far as the artists that were, were like, like poo-pooing and things like that. I didn't, like, oh, when I was thinking with Don Hillsman, Don I thoroughly appreciated him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Don was like, these guys are these guys are doing it the right way. You know, they, they they broke the mold, you know what I'm saying? They, they were they were trying to push the put it push it further. Even what do you think? Sweet even Swiss, even with um they affected Gaijin. I mean, except for except for Stelfree. Stelfree is on his own level. You can't the master's always the master. Sensei's always sensei. But Cully was doing Cully was pushing towards doing the 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 the, uh, the guy the uh the, the image way of doing things I think Jason Pearson was is it, with this, this idea of, of um, uh, body bags was well, pushing in that direction yeah th- well there certainly was a period there where th- they were in and again you know the guys in guys Cully and Jason and you know Brian and Adam although and Joe they were all of the same age and they're in the same you know peer group as the image guys but I'm thinking more like again like your Neil Adams and your Perez's and your Burns and your Bucklers Okay. And, you know, the folks who were, you know, who were making comics 10, 15 years before that, who were cons- who were seen as near 20 year veterans, maybe, and seeing these young kids kind of make all this money and make all this splash and get all this attention. And to some extent, a rising tide does raise all boats because they benefited from it, too. You know, Byrne, I think, got five thousand dollars or something for a cover or something, which was unheard of at the time. Uh, I forget which which cover it was. Wow! But you know, like they they benefited from that from that that tsunami of excitement as well. But to your point about Don, in terms of Don appreciating that, see, Don has always been a revolutionary. Don has always been like the Bob Marley of you know of comic book <laughs> you know creators, so to speak. You know, you know. Um, so you know, that's that's that that plays you know perfectly as far as as is what we know of him as a person. But Adrian, what what were you, what were you gleaning from the comments? And not that they had to be a backlash per se, but what were you gleaning from uh, the responses from other people who were who were working in comics who were not necessarily of that ilk and were like, "Damn, what's happening over there?" Mm-hmm. You know, you read you know um, responses from other artists at the time, and and it's and it's very very interesting how they would kind of you know just go off you know give side eye to it like. It's almost like they were waiting for them to fail because comics is such a niche industry. If someone deigns to rise on their hind legs for more, you know, it's always other people waiting to pull them back down. Like, oh, man, you ain't going to get out of here. Crabs in a barrel. You know, no, nah, they ain't going to work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But when it did work and spectacularly for like those first two or three years, then everybody was like, OK, how can how can I get in on that? That's why you have so many independent. <laughs> no, seriously, think about it. Yeah, you had yeah. so many independent publishers come out post nineteen ninety two. Numerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Even um, even stuff like Milestone. Okay, let's get a group of black creators together and let's see what we can do. And it did very well for that first year or two. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, Burn. You were talking about Burn earlier, right? Once Burn saw that, 
Burn got his little, like, like they're the Eagles or something. He got the old timers, uh, Burn, uh, Paul Chadwick, uh, Frank Miller, uh, uh, R. Adams, uh, 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 come on, y'all, y'all, come on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, and then you had like even Simonson shaking. Even old ass Gil Kane was like, oh, yep. I, uh, 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 can I <laughs> Yo, but. But you're not. But Adrian, Adrian, you're you're you're, you're not wrong because ev- everybody was so inspired by the sales and the fervor and the excitement of it that, yeah. like you said, it it even inspired some old timers and some folks who was you know who was years away from retirement to start their own thing. Gil Kane, Neil Adams was doing his own thing with continuity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also had um, the thing that was weird to me was is like to see like. Okay, Frank Miller is doing covers for these weird one-off independent publishing comics. I, you'd see the little FM in the cover, and I'd be like, okay. And it would be dope because it was still Frank Miller, but you'd be like, this character ain't shit, but damn, that cover is it's grabbing me. Or you yes. would see like like a Barry Windsor Smith working for, uh, was it Malibu or, or Valiant? Uh, Valiant, Valiant. Yeah, working for Valiant. You're like, Barry Windsor Smith came back to comics, and he, he's doing covers for who? What's a room? You know, it was just it was just crazy. But what were you getting ready to say, man? Oh, man. I was going to say in the, in the ultimate, you know, just in terms of, you know, the appreciation from those um, older guys was uh, Jack Kirby. You know, purportedly, you know, Liefeld went to Jack Kirby and said, hey, you know, um, Jack, this is what we're doing. And Kirby gave him their blessing. He was like, this is something I've always wanted to do. I'm glad you guys are doing it. You know, the industry really needs it. And they said, okay, is there something that we can help you with? And I guess they were like, well, it is something I did want to come out with, if y'all can help me with that. Uh, it's a book called Phantom Force. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah but you know what? <laughs> but D, the neat thing about Phantom Force is that each of the, each of the image creators inked portions of that book. So you start the book out with like, it's all Kirby pencils, but you have like Liefeld doing the inks for the first few pages. Oh my God. Oh my God. Then it's McFarlane doing the inks for the next few pages and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so it's just, it's a weird looking book. It really is. But it's cool because you have this new guard with like the king of comics, you know, and he's giving them like his blessing. Just like, this is great. It's all comics to me. You know what I'm saying? If if you succeed, that's wonderful. You know what I mean? And so you're taking it farther than, you know, the way that I want to have, or perhaps, and this is me talking, the way that industry really deserved to give to Jack. It's, the, it's what he deserved, really. So to see these young guys up here doing it and making a successful living out of it, why not? You know what I'm saying? Look, the the idea of Phantom Force and it's all Kirby pencils all being inked by all of these different guys, yo, sounds like a hot mess. Uh, it, 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 to it some looks extent, crazy. Yo. It do look crazy, but yeah. to to like that eye who who really likes that, you know, 90s style, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's very okay. interesting. Yeah. I I go back to like I want to go back a little bit to the uh the the idea of what Malibu Comics was. I recall one very spectacular image that was an image in Malibu Comics for the Ultraverse and it was that that painting that Dave Dorman did of all the Ultraverse characters. Remember Dave Dorman's painting that it was like it was like a profile shot to like a like the Legion of Superheroes way out like like um 
way the League of Superheroes are flying in profile, uh, the way Art at, uh, no, Adams, Neil Adams, yeah, Art Adams did, Neil Adams, Neil, Neil Adams, Neil, Neil Adams did. There, there was there was this there was a uh, this fantastic like like fully painted um, rendering that that um, that um, Dave Dorman did for 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 Malibu and Ultraverse. Do you guys remember that? I all? do, but even even that was in response to Image. That was even post Image. You know the Ultraverse. Very much so. They they, they and they, and they wooed John, uh, George Perez, rest in peace, um, over to there and say, "Hey, we want Ultra Force to be our flagship title, so we got to get the best." And they got George Perez over there, paid him buku money, and he he drew the book for like six or seven issues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's crazy. To his credit. To 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 end it though, let me ask you guys this. Um, now, Image Comics today is seen as a strictly independent comics publisher. So, you know, they started out with these same, you know, uh, superheroic, colorful, charismatic, you know, ultra vibrant and, and virile characters like Youngblood and, and Wildcats and Brigade and Cyberforce and all of these, all of this stuff. To now, you know, they're more known for publishing more independent things like uh, 100 Bullets or Scalped. Or uh, Southern Bastards, or uh, you know things along those lines. Walking Dead, yeah. The Walking Dead, yeah. So they're they're really now their bread and butter and their second wave legacy is not so much what they started as. It's it's something different. Um, what do you guys think about that transition and how you know they started as again, you know this kind of. Uh, this kind of atom bomb that just couldn't be ignored to now, you know, they're just kind of a, a quiet quality publisher and known oddly enough, you know, they started out, Hey, we want creators to kind of be able to do their thing and own their characters and you keep your characters. And that was their mission statement. And it has kind of continued to this very day. They've not deviated from that in an attempt at a, at a money grab. And maybe because they all have a bunch of money, you know, they don't need it. But, you know, I give them credit for starting as, you know, this is what our creed is going to be. And in here today, this is still what our creed is, is if you bring a book to us and we publish it, it's your book. It's not our book. We're just the publisher. But what do you think about that? I think it's only natural for, for, for a company that starts off with such a big bang to move back towards the middle if you want to survive, you know. Because um, there's only so many different reticulated covers and so many different uh, dramatic images and so many different things that you go on. Because their, their initial thing was all about where these young upstarts some were younger than others, and about the fact they had this really, really like, 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 technically proficient and interesting, and engaging style that was that was on the cusp of being the the the, the avant garde at that time. You know what I mean for comics? Mm-hmm. And I think what what did them that served them well for a long period of time. But after a certain period of time, you know, it became a thing where we always talk about it. it's a narrative driven it's a narrative driven process as far as comics goes. Like you have to have story there to maintain people's interest for a long period of time. Right, and I know for a fact when I go when I was going to the comic store still, I would go I would go and I would see a, a nice cover, but as soon as I opened the page up and I saw like his splash page that was just unintelligible or 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 just like the same old same, I lost interest. And I, I started gravitating more back more back towards story. And I think that's where they've all kind of gone back towards more more story. The most successful, arguably the most successful trademark they have is, is The Walking Dead. And that's basically that's that's all story. I mean, that's all about you know, so I mean I think that's where, you know, it makes sense for me to go back towards that. That's, what about you, Ed? That's a great point, D. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing, too, is, is that, you know, especially with this being the uh, 30th anniversary year of Image, you know, 
there's this, um, it's not a strong resurgence, but there's enough, um, fan, there are enough fans who are about my age, who came of age with the material that are now going back and looking for that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I think that fan base, you know, like myself, you know, it's kind of keeping that spirit afloat, you know, even in the midst of, you know, because every business has to change and mutate into something that's going to stay successful, like you guys are intimating. You know what I'm saying? But there are enough people who still remember those old comics that still, you know, support them and those creators as well. You know, and every time this stuff comes back, people are right there. You know what I'm saying? Like if if I'm telling you, if it fall in today was to come back and say, you know what? Damn that. I'm drawing an issue of Spawn. Just one issue. That would be the, one of the top selling books of the year. Mark my words. If he, he inks it digitally now, but if he was to come back and say, for one time only, I'm going to draw an issue of Spawn, we would respond. And we being the fan base about my age. We would be like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, hell yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because yeah. we, we, we love that spirit of independence that Image brought, but more so just the wave that made comics just sing in that very seminal year of 92, you know? That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.